All right. Well, hey, welcome back to another Get Wise with Weiss podcast. I've got a very special guest today. I have uh, Mr. Dustin Hoagland, who is the clinical educator at our behavioral health facility. Now, previously known as the Pavilion. This is very similar to the artist previously known as Prince. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Dustin, I'm glad to have you here. Why the name change? Why are we moving away from the Pavilion to behavioral health facility? You know... The pavilion opened up in 67, 68, 1967, 1968, and for a long time was kind of, for lack of understanding, associated with involuntary committals, like, oh, you got to be careful, they're going to take you to the PAV and lock you up, and it wasn't perceived by the public as a place of healing, as a place where you can go get help, and so they made the decision to kind of rebrand or at least kind of give a better description of what we are behavioral health so that, you know, we can have more. I think sometimes when people were like, you can go to the pavilion for an assessment, they might clam up. They might say, no, I don't want to go there. I've heard about that place. Whereas if we were to say, you know, you can go to the behavioral health, they might be more likely to go uh, and to try to deal with that. So it's not just an image deal. I think part of it was a practical consideration because we think, you know, somebody may be more willing to go to a place that sounds like behavioral health than Something that had been, you know, kind of associated with not pleasant memories yeah. sometimes. Well, good. And I know, you know, it's been a very purposeful progress to to really enhance what we offer at the Behavioral Health Facility at Northwest. It just, I guess in general, when we use the term behavioral health, you know, as opposed to maybe mental health or what does that mean? Is that is that term encompass maybe a broader spectrum of, of conditions people might suffer from? I mean, strictly strictly speaking, you know, behavioral. Sometimes the the distinction, if you want to split hairs, is behavioral deals more with like things like you know behavior problems, personality disorders, stuff like that. Anymore, it's almost used as a catch all, like mental health, psychiatric health. But again, behavioral health, I think, has a little bit more welcoming connotation to it than mental health, mental illness, psychiatric illness. I think behavioral health is a little bit more encompassing and accommodating. Yeah. Well, you know, I, of course, I think when people think of the old psychiatric facilities, you know, you, you almost picture the one flew over the cuckoo's nest kind uh-huh. of situation, you know, and, and, and obviously a lot of us are familiar with you know, psychosis and schizophrenia as, as really the extremes in one end. But, but then there's a lot more subtle conditions that people suffer from that affect their daily lives. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's why I'm hoping that, I, that we get a sense that people understand that we can treat those and we can help them with, with them. You know, how about in terms of what are some the recent additions to our behavioral health facility in terms of programming or, or, or therapies that we can offer now? Well, we're offering biofeedback and neurofeedback therapies where you can, it's almost like mindfulness with technology. We connect you to a monitor, you see your heart rate, you see your respirations, and you match your breathing with your heart rate. It's especially effective at treating traumas. We've had, I, I had a young man who had experienced significant abuse in his life, and he was inpatient. He went to about three or four sessions before he was discharged, and you could tell a difference in him. It kind of helps you to cope, and it kind of, when you're in an anxious state, it tricks your body into thinking that you're calm because mm-hmm. it can slow that down. And then we are going to be starting soon the ECT electroconvulsive therapy, which you mentioned, you know, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Everybody remembers the the last scene with Jack Nicholson and his, you know, they they zap him and he's that's not what it is. I think a lot of people associate ECT with like lobotomies or something, and that's not what it is. For us, it, is it okay if I talk about? Please. Oh, oh yes, no, because we are we're very excited about the fact that it we is. are now offering this it's, therapy. It is. So it's 
to talk about what it treats, it treats what we're going to be treating with it is persistent depression that is not responsive to medication or therapy. Medication and therapy are the gold standard for treatment of depression. But oftentimes people kind of have a darkness that won't lift. So they seek out something more. ECT can provide that. So ECT, electroconvulsive therapy, the way we're going to be doing it is after the patient's been assessed, they have to get a medical clearance. They have to get all checked out. They have to get educated on it. And we will take them and we will have an anesthesiologist at the bedside put them under anesthesia so they won't feel anything. We will put a blood pressure cuff on their left leg so that the left foot, I guess you could say, doesn't become anesthetized. So it's still, it's not receiving that medication for the, the paralysis that you know they'll have. And, and again, they won't have any memory of it. Then we actually do, we have two electrodes. They look like kind of silver cups and we can put them on their head. We can either do it one on the left, one on the right. We can do one on the front, one on the back, just depending. And a small current, and it is a small current, is conducted through the brain and through the skin to the brain, and it causes a seizure. And we have that left foot unanesthetized. I don't know if there's a better word for that. Unanesthetized, so we can actually see it jerk. We can see it tremble, and we know that the seizure's been successful. So once they wake up, I mean, honestly, the anesthesia itself has more risks than the ECT. They will do three treatments a week for four weeks, so 12 treatments. And most studies show that they, between 70 to 90% of patients experience a profound change they a lot of people describe it as getting their life back it, it it just works now it doesn't cure it there is no cure for depression but for the persistent depression that nothing else is working this can be just just a little bit short of a miracle for them yeah, I, you know i'm glad you brought this up i my first experience with this goes back many years ago when i, when I trained in dallas and actually was at the the veterans hospital in dallas and they were offering this therapy for veterans with what you said, you know, treatment-resistant depression with PTSD. And I have to say, it's probably one of the most successful interventions in medicine I have ever seen. I mean, these uh, these gentlemen w would recover quickly and, and usually could go as long as six months mm -hmm. with a complete remission of their depression or stuff. And they would come back and beg for it again when uh -huh. they started having symptoms redevelop. So it is, it's an incredible therapy, as you said, ama amazingly safe. Not not the old mm -hmm. days where you know the, the video movies used to portray, but uh -huh. this is this is a very well controlled seizure under mm -hmm. anesthesia, and, and just an incredible intervention. So I, I know you and your team have been working on this for a number of months to get mm -hmm. this set up, and, and we are delighted that at this point we're ready to offer it. We're excited about it. I was doing some reading on it the other day, and actually, it's safe for pregnant women. It's actually, some say, like, like just as safe, if not a little bit more safe than medication. So we can, now we're not going to be doing, we're not going to be doing pregnant patients. But I mean, that's, that's how thought out, that's how safe this can right. be. I mean, people freak out with like, oh my gosh, you're going to put electricity through the brain. No, I mean, yes, we do, but it's in a controlled thing. And, you know, it's not like we give them some stick to bite down on. <laughs> right. So, so just before we leave this topic, so suppose I'm a patient who is interested in this. How would I be evaluated or how do I get started? I'm being you know, assessed for the possibility of, of receiving this therapy. I would start by contacting our uh, partial hospitalization program or our uh, intensive outpatient program that we have at the behavioral health. I don't have the number on me right now, but you can call and get established there. They can get you in with one of our two psychiatrists that are going to be doing it. And I think after we're having kind of get the process down in the first couple, probably first couple of patients, you might see some more maybe marketing or something like that, kind of getting the word out there. I think that as some more therapists and local physicians, psychiatrists know that we're doing it, 
you might have patients requesting it for them. It's kind of like when we started doing, we're not doing it now, but when they were doing the ketamine therapy, mm-hmm. a lot of the therapists around town said, hey, you know, Northwest is doing ketamine. We had a uh, psychiatrist that was working with us and, and they could get them in, you know, through that way. So hopefully it's going to do the same thing for us. Yeah. Fantastic. Right. I, I, I think it's going to be a, a very short matter of time before people realize just the benefits of this mm-hmm. therapy. So, you know, and, and you know, as, as, all elements of society, you know, the behavioral health area has really benefited from modern technology. And I've heard word about these this virtual reality mm-hmm. therapy we're using now. What, what, what are we talking about there? So, uh, and we're, we've got the stuff for it. We're just waiting on some licensing things for the software. But you can have a virtual reality simulation. Let's say that you're like one of millions of young Americans who went to Afghanistan or Iraq. You experienced something incredibly traumatic. We can, with virtual reality place you back in that situation or a very close approximation thereof. And you can go through, experience what you've experienced then in a safer and controlled therapeutic environment. And it can allow people to develop coping mechanisms with that. You can, it's kind of like exposure therapy, Hmm. but yeah, we can, you can, with certain programs, you can take it in, you can program it in and make it incredibly realistic. Yeah, my understanding is not only visual and hearing, but they even have odors now yep. that they can reenact yep. that, that bring you back into that situation. Yep. I'd say we're very excited about that. I've heard incredible things there. You know, even here we're offering music therapy at the mm-hmm. behavioral health facility. I mean, how does that work? We have... we. We have alternative therapies in, in what we used to just call music therapy, but we do have two music therapists. And music, I mean, you're a musician. It does something to the human soul. It does something to the human condition. When you, I don't know if it's the rhythm. I don't know what it is. But just being exposed to the music oftentimes is therapeutic. I remember when I was in nursing school and I was doing my psych rotation, we went through and did a music therapy session with some patients. And they used to have, back in the day, and I don't know what happened to these, they had a huge vinyl selection down in the treatment area in, in the pavilion. And these patients all selected songs they wanted. And it was it was really cool because the two songs, the first two and two were uh, Runaway Train and Leaving on a Midnight Train to Georgia. And that's, it was, but it, but it told so much about what they were going through. So a lot of times people will talk about their life through music. I had a young man who was having a bad day. He was inpatient and I just kind of pulled him off to the side. You know, he was super tight, clenching his fist. I said, man, what, what music do you like? And I just got my phone out. We put it on YouTube. He told me the name of, actually, two hip-hop artists and i forgot who they were but it was it was incredible we just listened to music and then i actually busted out some early 90s rap that i liked and he was like oh it was cool but in that moment we were able to bond and connect so it formed kind of a bridge but with the music therapy i mean we can do various things they can do like i've had them come up to the units and they've done drum circles with the patients Mm -hmm. not my particular favorite but they'll do (laughs) they'll do drum circles or they'll just you know listen to music or they'll listen to a piece of music and everybody will talk about it or they will have somebody kaylee that uh, used to be a music therapist she would come and just play guitar for them and it's it's really interesting once on the geriatric unit she came in and was just playing just real light guitar and this guy came up and said you know can i see the guitar and she said sure which was a big trust thing for her to let this guy do it he started playing spanish guitar that sounds like you know stuff wow. from like flamenco dancing it was incredible I mean, just absolutely amazing. So giving them people just this avenue for expression, whether it's through participating in making music or noise with the drum circle. Sorry, drum circles are great. Patients like it. But or if it's just explaining why Midnight Train to Georgia is such a profound thing for him. I know a veteran that he his therapeutic thing is to listen to Sitting on the Dock of the Bay by Otis Redding. Hmm. 
And it's if he's having a, a bad day, that really helps him. So I think it just kind of connects and, and does it. And plus, they can do, you know, that we can do other therapies. One of the favorite ones, and I think it's funny with, with adults, even more so than children, is uh, coloring pages. Like if we have coloring books, like if, if, you know, donating stuff, coloring books, especially anything Star Wars related, I've seen grown men, men in their 50s, that will sit down with map colors and work on a baby Yoda picture for an hour. It's, it's really funny how adults really enjoy that. Absolutely. Well, I, I think art in all forms, you know, has, has profound effects. I, I, as you pointed out, for me, music has always had an you know, incredible effect on me. You know, normally when I listen to the music I listen to, I get this awesome ringing in my ears. But, uh, yeah, but so, yes, but those are great therapies. Well, you know, the big thing, too, is, you know, obviously we're heading into the holidays. And, and that can be a really sensitive time for oh, a lot yeah. of people. I mean, that's when, you know, suddenly people may have lost loved ones in their lives. And, and you know, it's just a bad time for a lot of people sometimes with those, with those losses. And, and so, therefore, we, we see a fair amount of depression or, or grief reactions. How do I know if, if I'm struggling or if I'm getting in trouble? It's different for everybody. You know, men are a little bit less likely to understand and identify depression for what it is. For a man, it could be just like, man, I am just irritated and these people will not shut up and I'm just mad all the time. And it manifests like that. For a lot of people, it can manifest as just profound disorganization. They just can't seem to kind of keep things together. The lack of any kind of joyful feeling, any pleasure in any activity they can see. I, I, I say this before, or I've said this before, and people kind of laugh at me, but if you have a friend that's big into hobbies, a certain hobby, and all of a sudden they're not doing it, that's a big indicator that there's something going on when people stop doing something they love. You know, it, but it's not just persistent sadness. It's not just crying all the time. It's Anytime you or your family notice behavior out of the ordinary, all behavior has meaning, and you might need to step back and say, what's going on here? And this time of year, daylight savings time just ruins it for people. You know, all of a sudden it's getting dark at 5 p.m., and that has a huge effect on people. You know, some of the studies they've done up in places like in Alaska or even in Scandinavia, how suicide during the winter months skyrockets. And I think a lot of that's just because they're not able to get out and, and you know, get sunshine. So all of that kind of culminates. And I think people, especially if you have a history of mental illness, need to be especially in tune with yourself around the holidays, specifically because our three major holidays, the three biggies, actually, if you even wanted to say the four biggies, Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's, all take place during the cold, dark months. You know, maybe sometimes it's the holiday that's the trigger in in the AA community. They'll have their certain, some of the clubs will have extra meetings on Thanksgiving day just to, so people can get away from their families. I mean, you know, we're supposed (laughs) to be with families, but that can be a stressful time for everybody's got that one uncle that wants to have the fight with them. And that that can be a stressor. Or the holiday times you've mentioned, people that have lost loved ones, even if they didn't lose them around that time, if they didn't lose them in Thanksgiving, they'll remember the times they've had at the holidays with that person. And that can be very traumatic. They kind of, you get lost in the reminiscing and it, and it gets all-encompassing and then pretty soon you're in a you're in a funk or you're in a darkness that just won't lift and when you see that when this is when you realize that it's taking up a considerable amount of your time and it is interfering with the way you live your life with what you do with who you are you need to seek help you need to you need to talk to somebody there's lots of, of resources on the internet there's numbers you can call or just reaching out to a friend saying man I just can't shake this what do I you know what do I need to do if you had this so just being open about communication which you know as we all know men are great at 
at being open with our feelings. Really. <laughs> exactly. But as you mentioned too, I think the big concern is 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 people who get into those that that darkness. You know, oftentimes turn to chemicals to try uh-huh. to help themselves. You know, whether it be alcohol or other drugs, and and it just in many ways fuels a fire. I mean, it always makes the whole situation worse. Ultimately, um, yeah. So, there's there's no problem that alcohol can't make worse. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, you even hear talk. I've heard term the term uh, grief ambush. You know, which is a term I, I think they use when, as you kind of point out, is someone may have felt they got over the, the grief or loss of a loved one, and then all of a sudden there's something like a, a you know a smell, an event, uh, something that triggers that memory that brings that whole flood of grief right back over on them. And it could be over overwhelming, you know, but but just suddenly it just this a, a ambush or attack of grief. My best friend lost his mother this summer, and he he was talking to me the other day, and he he posted on Facebook that the first cold snap we had made him sad because his mother used to always call him and tell him at night he needed to leave one of the faucets on dripping so the the pipes wouldn't huh. bust. And and it's you said that it's little things that people that have you see it with the PTSD too. And, and I love that term grief ambush. I actually wrote it on mm-hmm. my hand because I want to look that up. But it's usually a little thing. Mm-hmm. It's not like a a big deal, but it's just something little that, boom, takes them right back there. And a lot of times it's stuff they think they've dealt with, Mm -hmm. and it's not. Yeah. Yeah. So so when that happens, so, you know, uh, let's say, uh, boy, I I do notice that, you know, the things I've enjoyed doing, I'm just not interested in doing right now. And I'm just, you know, I I get up in the morning and just feel like, gosh, I'm having trouble facing another day. What do I do? First, you need to start, just talk to somebody. I mean, anybody, whether it's a family member, whether it's a, a, a coworker, whether it's your boss, whether it's a clergy person, a minister, priest, rabbi, whoever, somebody that knows you, somebody that cares about you and say, hey, listen, you know, this is this is bothering me. Have you seen a change in me? And a lot of times they'll say yes. A lot of times people are just afraid to say, you know, Brian, you haven't seen yourself lately. What You know, what's going on? They're afraid to have that conversation, but they need to go talk to somebody. You know, also another thing they can do in you can look up on the internet symptoms of depression. You can look up, you can even just type in, hey, I don't want to do anything or not enjoying life. And it'll have a lot of resources that can pop up that can point you in a good direction. Get an appointment with your primary care physician because sometimes there are things that kind of masquerade as depression. It could be something else going on, but at least you're going to be getting somebody that, that can get you in touch. If it gets And if it gets bad, you can come to our intake and assessment area department you can walk right up to the door push a button there's going to be somebody on the other side you can say hey listen i'd like to come in for an assessment and they can see if you would be appropriate for inpatient therapy or they can refer you out and get you community resources so you can get some help so i mean you can you can just come to us of your own accord you don't have to have a doctor say go look there or you know go to behavioral health you can come in the front door of our place and we'll get you help no, that's fantastic so I, I don't need an appointment nope. I, okay so that's good to know and that's open 24 7 24 7 okay Fantastic. That's great to know. And then, you know, you kind of mentioned even maybe in a more awkward situation is when you notice a loved one that's not acting like themselves, you know, a friend or family, you know, how do you, how do you broach that, that topic or that, you know, that question of, gosh, I'm kind of worried about them. You know, how do I approach this? First thing you do, find a good place to have the conversation. Have a place where you and this person can be focused on each other, where you aren't going to have a lot of stimulation and where other people aren't going to hear. Because if it's an embarrassing thing, people may not want to discuss it. But just telling them, you know, Brian, I've noticed 
you just don't seem yourself lately. You know, you, you really like music. And the other day when I was at your house, I saw your guitar and there was dust on it. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it just worries me. Mm-hmm. I, I want you to be happy. I want you to know that I love you. And, and when you're unhappy, when you're in a bad place, I'm in a bad place with you. And, and using those reassuring things, not as, okay, dude, what it is with you? You know, what's going on with right. you? Why are you acting this way? You know, don't go to their house and throw the curtains open and say, all right, enough's enough. Come on, let's get out. You know, live, laugh, love, that kind of thing. Don't, don't do that. But just go to them and say, listen, I'm worried about you. I, I want you to know that you can talk to me and listen to them in a non-judgmental fashion. Sometimes the best thing you can do once you've done that is to just not say anything. Sometimes just a shared silence can be profound with them, but just go at it from an angle of compassion, of, of love, of caring and concern and not judgment. And I've got to fix this right now. Yeah. Fantastic. So, so you have definitely what I hear saying is that a lot of these behavioral health issues is not a willpower problem. Like you said, you don't just throw open the the, the shades and say, Hey, the sun's out, you know, just get out of your funk. You you know, I think it's funny. I show this video to our new orientees, but it's like if physical ailments, which I mean, certainly there is a biological component with, with psychiatric issues, but you know, it's, it's this people talking, treating, you know, medical ailments like you would, you know, depression, kind of like, well, Brian, have you ever tried not having pancreatic cancer? You know, you're a diabetic. Have you thought about maybe just getting outside more, you know, just come on, getting in the sunshine? I mean, we would never say that to somebody like that. And yet we have no problem dispensing advice to somebody just saying, you know what, Martha, I think you just need to, you just need to get out more and, and that'll get you over this, you know, massive manic phase and tremendous grief you have over your father's death. We would never do that for for a medical illness. So, you know, we we need to not do that for behavioral issues. Well, absolutely. I think it's interesting, Dustin. For many years, it seemed like the field of neurology and the field of psychiatry were two very different galaxies. And what we're seeing now is that they're really coming together. Because what we're realizing is that, you know, a lot of these behavioral health challenges people have really come out of biochemistry. Oh, yeah. They come out of the the, the neurology and and the the neural function. And, And that's also why I think we've seen a lot of medications developed over the last number of years that become much more effective at treating these things because we realize it's not willpower. It's not just, you know, just get over it. It is a true physical change in the brain that produces these emotions and feelings that we have. And, and, in, and in psychiatric medicine and psychiatric care, that's, that's the one branch of medicine that they don't spend a lot of time imaging the organ in question with the brain. I mean, we don't, we don't have CAT scans refined enough that you can have a CAT scan and say, oh, okay, this is disorganized schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. I know that with PET scans, they can see some stuff, but with the neurobiologic function of it, the treatment of things, we really are in a golden age right now with a lot of chronic conditions, especially with anxiety. And part of the discussion I have, I, I, talked at the Emerald Children's Home last week about behavioral health meds. And when I was talking about ADD and ADHD, the attention deficit hyperactivity disorders, for so long, that was seen as a discipline issue. For so long, that was seen as, well, that's a bad kid. We've got to do this. And now they're like, okay, wait a minute. There's something that we can do. We can help this this child with, with medication and therapy and you've got your son back. Yeah. And, and there's that stigma, especially with that, you know, oh, the meds are going to make him like a zombie or something. And they don't. It, it helps you. And that's, again, people wouldn't question if you have high blood pressure, you take a pill for your high blood pressure. If you have diabetes, you check your blood sugar and that. I wish there wasn't the same stigma 
about emotional and behavioral mental regulation that there is because it is a physical problem every bit is real as diabetes yeah now jersey i was i was reading an article about attention deficit disorder in particular and and that at one point it probably was an evolutionary advantage you know in a sense of a lot of our our ancestors when it came down to two individuals one that could focus on smelling a flower and the other who's constantly looking around yep. guess who figures out the saber-toothed tigers behind them yep. faster and so uh, so they do believe that probably that, that the rapid attention changes and all did offer a, a you know a survival benefit in the past finally let's talk about you know i obviously i i think I get the impression we're facing almost an epidemic of self-harm and suicide in this country. And, you know, and that's, that's the thing everyone fears is when you have a loved one or even yourself and suddenly you're thinking, boy, are they getting or am I getting to the point where I'm considering some form of self-harm? What do you do? Talk to somebody immediately, find a person, find a person in, in, there are some conditions like with OCD, you may have you know, the fleeting thoughts of it. Everybody does that. But if you're all of a sudden thinking, you know, maybe the world would be better without me. Maybe this is something that I can do. Maybe somehow this will improve my situation or it will improve somebody else's situation. You need to find help and you need to find it quickly. You need to, like I said, talk to somebody. At this point, if you're feeling unsafe, you need to get seen right then by somebody. Like I said, you can come right to our intake and assessment area. A lot of our patients are admitted voluntarily. It's not like it's not like if you come to us and, and you tell us, well, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about hurting myself that we're going to just lock you up. That's, that's not the deal. You can sign in voluntarily. You can come in and participate with this. And, uh, but anyways, just to go get seen, find somebody. If you're in a really bad place, if you're looking at a gun or a bottle of pills, call 911, call 911. They will get somebody that will talk to you right then. And they will send somebody to your house. And this isn't going to be even with patients that have been on involuntary committal. That's not a life destroying event. It doesn't, you know, preclude you from a lot of things. So don't be afraid to call, but but seek help immediately. Find a friend and and be very honest with whoever you're talking to. You know, don't beat around the bush on it. Say, you know, I'm really thinking about killing myself. I'm, you know, I wonder is the world a better place? And for people that are talking, you know, to somebody or that have a loved one that's doing it, there's going to be signs that that person may be doing. And if all of a sudden they're putting their affairs in order, if all of a sudden they're saying things like, you know, maybe maybe it would just be better, you know, without me, so that the loved ones can pay attention to. But honestly, what what I want people to hear us say is, if you are experiencing thoughts of self-harm, thoughts of suicide, get help immediately because you can get help for this. The The conditions that may be leading to this or your life situations, you can get help. You can get better. There is always hope. Yeah. No, thank you. And you brought up a great point, which is, you know, the, the police department is a valuable resource here. Uh-huh. And particularly the Amarillo Police Department has what's called the Crisis Intervention yep. Team. And these are these are uh, officers who are specifically trained in helping mm-hmm. people you know, who are in a, a mental crisis or a behavioral health crisis. So, yeah, valuable resource. They do a fantastic job of helping these people get this, the help they need. I really got to give a shout out to the APD, CIT, mm-hmm. their Crisis Intervention Team, because they're able to look at mental health for what it is, how it's a health issue, and not a criminal issue you know like you had mentioned trespassing they're not some people they may wander into places they're not supposed to go because they have bad intent or they're going to steal something it's just they literally have no idea where they are or what they're doing and having police trained like our the emerald police department cit it it saves lives they're taught the they spend a lot of time doing the verbal de-escalation and the behavioral de-escalation and realizing that it's a person with a mental illness and not a criminal 
I, I really believe it saved a lot of lives in our city. I really believe that. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. Very valuable resource. So, well, Dustin, we've covered a lot of topics today. Boy, I can't tell you how much I appreciate being on that podcast, and, and particularly this time of year, which you know you brought out. There are a lot of people who are particularly vulnerable this time of year. So, uh, you know, before we close, anything else that you want to bring up or any other resources that maybe you want to make people aware of? You know, I was on for parents. I was putting together a presentation about a childhood mental illness and Indran, and just the CDC has a wealth of information. Anytime you get online, my wife's a science teacher, and she says always look for the .org, the .org, for it to be a reputable kind of research type deal. But there's NAMI, the NAMI, the National Association of Mental Illnesses, I think, NAMI.org. CDC has good good information. You know, Googling mental illness is a great place for that. And there's a lot of information out there. Again, you know, with with information availability, again, we're in a golden age where people can learn a lot of stuff. I remember I had a friend of mine who had OCD and he never knew that he, he knew that there was something different about him. He couldn't get certain things out of his head until one day he happened to see a commercial. I think it was a, it was a pharmaceutical commercial, like a, a long infomercial that talked about it. And he's like, wow, there's a name for what I'm going through. So doing some research and, and just being open and unafraid to do that. Yeah, fantastic. I, you know, like you said, I think the, the .orgs, the .edus, you, you know those are sites of either large institutions you know, that have yep. very, very accurate information. Yep. And so, yeah, please, please be aware there are a lot of bad websites out yep. there. But, boy, if you stick with the big medical centers and stuff like that, you're going to get quality information yep. you need. And yep. even like a lot of the .govs, I, you know, it's going to be researched. And you're going to get, you know, if it's like holistic marijuana therapy for world health awareness.com, you might want to question that one. <laughs> so, well, that's a, hey, well, thank you again. It's been, it's been an enlightening conversation. I really appreciate being on. We're going to have you on again soon. So. Outstanding. I, I appreciate this, uh, this opportunity. It's my first podcast. Really? Boy, I've you're never natural. On. I've never, well, thank you very much. <laughs> I, uh, I learned everything I know from uh, Dr. Brian Weiss. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. Flattery will really get you nowhere. Yeah, yeah, it will, actually. So, well, fantastic. Well, I want to thank everyone for listening to another podcast of Get Wise with Weiss, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Individual results may vary. There are risks associated with any medical procedure. Talk with your doctor about these risks to find out if electroconvulsive therapy, or ECT, is right for you.